Shalom, and welcome to the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators podcast series, Chanukah, Pesach, and Purim, Walk Into a Bar. Each episode, Rabbi Svi Hirschfeld will be joined by guest educators who will reveal the deeper meaning for each festival or year cycle event. The Talmud says when wine enters, secrets come out. So prepare to be intoxicated as our great educators each bring a text with them that encapsulates the spiritual essence and holy work of that time of year that will change our and our students' lives forever. Welcome to the bar. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome back to, I hope I get this right, Hanukkah, Pesach, and Purim walk into a bar, even though that itself is misleading because our last one we spoke about Rosh Hashanah and now we're going to speak about Yom Kippur. So that bar is just filling up with all of these festivals hanging out and drinking and sharing stories with each other. So uh, welcome back to everybody who uh, is, is listening. Uh, this podcast is geared, I think, both for an individual who simply wants to learn a little bit and deepen their experience of the Chagim, and certainly for educators out there who are either looking for ideas or want to also think more deeply about the content uh, that they can deliver for their students and participants especially around the Chagim, right? We all want to have uh, positive, impactful experiences of these Chagim beyond endless shopping, cooking, and eating. Uh, and therefore, but it takes a lot of preparation and effort. So this is our opportunity to share some of our insights uh, and thoughts with you. I am joined today by two all-stars, two Pardes all-stars, educator all-stars, uh, both of whom work uh, as part of PCJE as teaching coaches and thinkers and educators and program planners. We are joined by Reuven Margaret, who normally is just sitting behind the, not camera, behind the microphone in editing, but every once in a while we force him to uh, share his uh, intellectual prowess with us as well. And of course, uh, Sefi Kraut is here, uh, renowned educator, thinker, what else? Physical trainer. Uh, lots of a woman of many many talents uh, who's also here at Pardes as a teaching coach and a program supervisor and lots of other great things as well. So uh, we're going to begin. You guys ready? Yes. Bring it on. Okay. Wow. <laughs> a lot of energy in this room. So, uh, Sefi, how about we start with you? Uh, our topic, of course, is Yom Kippur, uh, and uh, the floor is yours. So share with us uh, a text uh, that you find particularly meaningful and how educators out there might want to use it. Okay, thank you, Tzvi. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with Tzvi and Ruven, of course. The text that I chose is from the Tfilot of uh, Yamim Noraim. It actually appears in Rosh Hashanah Tfilah as well as in Yom Kippur Tfilah. And that is the text of Hinani, said by the prayer service leader just before Musaf. Uh, this is, for me, one of the most powerful Tfilot of the entire uh, service of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I think part of what I love about it is that it is said in first person by the uh, prayer leader, but it is also mostly said out loud. So you kind of get a window into someone's private thoughts that are being shared publicly with the tzibur, with the congregation. And in this prayer, the, the, the leader begins by recognizing the moment and acknowledging the enormous responsibility to lead and, and to pray, not just on their own behalf, but on behalf of the, the whole congregation. And the prayer begins with the word hinani, here I am. I really, um, I think I, I really um, 
prominent word in all of Tanakh, the word Hineni or Hineni. You have all these characters uh, in Tanakh who say the word Hineni in response to God's calling. So, for example, you have in Genesis 22, you have um, God says, Abraham, the name of the character, and Abraham responds, Hineni. Or Samuel in, uh, in Samuel 1, chapter 3, God says, Shmuel, and he responds, Hineni meaning, here I am. And the statement Hineni is typically, here I am, but not just here I am physically, but here I am ready to serve you. It's a statement of preparedness. And here, in our instance, in the tefillah, the prayer service leader says, Hineni, here I am, a statement of preparedness. And then, in the very next breath, goes on to say how unprepared they feel in this task. Hineni ha'animi ma'as, here I am, but I'm empty of deeds. Using here the English translation from the Koran, um, I'm in, term, in turmoil, afraid with the fear of that one who sits enthroned on the, praise, on the praises of Israel. I've come here to stand up and plead with you for your people, Israel, who have sent me. Uh, even though I'm not worthy or fitting to come. And I, I think it, it's kind of amazing. Here the, the Shaliyah Tzibor, the prayer service leader says, here I am, I'm ready, and then talks about all their own inadequacies and fears for this mission. And to me, this is so powerful in its vulnerability. Um, as an educator, I think often feel this in that, there's this mission I'm, I'm, I'm being asked to, to complete with students, um, and I feel inadequate or I feel like I don't know enough, and yet at the same time, I'm going to have to power through and do my best. Um, and I think for our students, it's also a powerful um, kind of image that these are not feeling, showing up to do a job, right, does not necessitate feeling 100% ready or equipped to do the job. In fact, sometimes it's the opposite. It takes so much courage to show up and do your best when you know that you have reasons to fear. Um, and, and to me, that is really a, a powerful lesson and one that strikes me every single time this tefillah is said. Moving. Wow. Reaction. So... I mean, a few reactions. I mean, the first reaction was I was actually feeling really bad about myself because when the prayer leader does Hineni, a part of me is like, oh, that's like, that's the prayer leader's prayer. I can have a little break, right? That's the bit I don't have to say, even though, like, I I read through it and I'm, you know, I want to know what they're saying, yeah, right? Um, But that's, okay, so I get it a guilty confession, right? That it's interesting that that's the leader's prayer and not the individual's prayer. Um, but for me, it just like highlights some of the tensions of the day, like as you were highlight, like the preparedness, like we're here, we show up, but we're unprepared, right? Right. Um, you know, there's the tensions of, you know, maybe what I experienced there, the individual versus the, like the congregational. Mm-hmm. Like what, what do I as an individual be what am I doing at this point when the leader is really, I guess, doing something on my behalf? Just, just like Yom Kippur when they were doing in the base of Mikdash, like the main service happened in the base of Mikdash, the temple, um, and all the service there. Uh, 
how does that relate to what the individuals who's probably very distant from that experience? So I, it's interesting that 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 prayer encapsulates you know many tensions which which happen during a day. Yeah, I think um, the precisely because the it is the prayer of an individual on behalf you know worried of, of what he or she can accomplish on behalf of everybody else, it jumpstarts me in thinking, well, if that person is taking this so seriously on my behalf, you know, maybe I really got to take this seriously on my own behalf. You know, this person is working so hard for me and for my family and for the people who are standing around me in this tefillah, time to focus in, you know, and truthfully, it makes me emotional every single Mm -hmm. year. Right. Especially some of that emotion, especially when I've, I've seen the, the leader doing that prayer just break down and cry. And yes. I'm there. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh, cry. Yeah. What should I be doing right now? Yeah. Right. So I don't yeah. hear that. Well, a... At least you're not thinking, oh no, he's crying. How much longer is this going to take? So <laughs> you're already way ahead of much of the congregation. I'm sorry, Seth, you wanted to respond. No, I was just going to say, you know, Ruben uh, mentioned, you know, responding to, you know, hearing how the, the leader is emotional and in, in, in this can be, it, it reminds me of, I, I, for me, the Yamim Noraim are filled with voices. I hear voices of the prayer leaders. I hear voices of my father. I hear voices all the time, you know, in these tefillot. And when I think of Mr. Klein of Blessed Memory from Cincinnati, Ohio, leading this prayer year in and year out, or Rabbi Mel David from West Hempstead, Long Island, I hear their voices, and I, I, you know, I. On the one hand, I might think to myself, you know, Rabbi David has, must have been leaving services for at least forty years, if I had to guess, at least. But I believe him every single time when he says this tefillah, when he leads this tefillah of Hinini, and his voice breaks. I believe that every single year he feels a tremendous responsibility, uh, and I, it's very inspiring mm. to me. So the question that occurred to me, and you really brought it up with the, the, the language itself, what do you tell people who are overwhelmed by all the expressions of how much we failed and how much we've sinned and how we're not worthy? Like, what's your message to people who, who would come to you and say, this just makes me feel terrible. It doesn't, it doesn't inspire me. It just makes me feel like, makes me depressed, right? right? It makes me just sad. What, what, what's your, what do you tell people when they react that way? I don't think anyone has ever raised that question to me before, but I, what would I say, and how do I personally feel? Well, I mean, I've, I think Sefi alluded a little bit, for me, a, a very powerful answer is the, the, the hinani. Like, just being in the game, being part of it. it it's not necessarily about, um, you know, being amazing or being perfect all the time. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm present... Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm with everybody else in this messy life. Um, I don't know if that's very super positive or makes people <laughs> feel good, but it might make them feel a little bit less bad. Right. I, I might add to Ruben, yeah, I think the first, my first reaction would be to show up. You know, you show up, and that's part of what's so brave in, in this whole experience. And then beyond that, sometimes you, you show up, and another element that's brave is you ask for help. And that's another piece that, that, um, that is here in this, in this tefillah. It's so fascinating and so ironic. Here, the, the prayer leader says, I'm scared to be standing before you, God, and I'm scared of you, 
essentially. And then the next one of the lines there is Alkain Avakeshra Elokea Ram Elokeasak Elokeyakov. He keeps going. God, you please help me succeed in this path. So there's there's there. In, in that sense, I, I, I don't see it as depressing. I see it as an acknowledgement of who I am and where my shortcomings are. But look how triumphant it is to be showing up, as Ruvain said, and to be able to look around and say, where can I get help from and where can I um, ask for help? Another element, maybe the third factor here, is that this is only one tefillah of many in the liturgy. And Whereas some of these tefillot focus on our shortcomings, there are other tefillot that focus on what we have to offer and how we're connected to God and God as our Father, and the relationships are strong. So, you know, it, it's a little misleading to zero in on only one prayer from the whole liturgy. Okay, great. Ruvain, you're up. Okay, so um, my text is from the Talmud Bavli, Masechet Nadarim. Uh, which deals with vows. And then there's this little bit of um, Agadata, um, which, uh, so I'll read it. Okay, and it says that Shiva Devarim Nivra U Kodem Shnivra Ha'olam, that seven things, phenomena were created before the world was created. Um, and Eluhen, and these are them. So the Torah was created before the world. And then the second one is Teshuvah, repentance. Um, and for me, it says that there's something really special about Teshuvah. Right? What does it mean for something to be created before the world was created? Um, like my under, I mean, it's very kind of metaphysical, and I don't know if I really if we really do understand exactly what it means for anything to be created before the world was created, because we're products of the world, and it's very hard to pull yourself out of the context in which you find yourself. Um, but for me, so it's like conceptually, it means that teshuva is a kind of a supernatural process. Right? When, when a person does something, right, if you, let's say, you know, if, if I hold this pen up and I drop and, and I let go of it, the pen's going to fall down, Right? And the same way that if someone does something they shouldn't do, they should get the consequence. Right? That's just kind of a natural law. Um, and I think what this text is saying is that you know, when a person makes a mistake, there's something, even though they sh- a person according to natural law should get the consequence, right? they should get a punishment, um, Teshuva bypasses that system and allows a person not to get what's due or should, should have been coming for them. And why that's so powerful for me is that because it was created before the world, it means that it's as if as God is saying to us, I know you're going to make mistakes. Right? To be human is to make mistakes. Right? I didn't create humans to be perfect. Right? If so, Teshuva wouldn't need to be created before the world. But the fact that Teshuva was created before the world means that it's okay to make mistakes. And I used to bring this text a lot when I, was, when I was teaching because I wanted students, and this was for high school students, I wanted them to know it's okay not to be perfect. Because unfortunately in today's society, I think a lot of, there's a lot of pressure for perfection. 
They need to get, students felt they needed to get into the right university. The students felt they needed to look a certain way. Um, and, and I think this text is speaking to the, that's, that's not necessarily the case, right? There isn't this kind of idealised perfection. And if you don't get a 4.0 on your GPA, that's okay, right? Because being human is a process of perfection. Um, or of, of, not of perfection, it's a process of, of improving oneself. Um, and Teshuvah is a, is a way to do that. And Yom Kippur highlights that process, that it's okay to make mistakes. In some ways we're expected to make mistakes. That's part of being human. And so for me that text kind of highlights that. I think that's a really maybe the best answer to Svi's question about feeling depressed on Yom Kippur, talking about all the mistakes that we make. Maybe one of the best answers is one Ruvain just offered, that the fact that there is this notion of tshuva, repentance, that is built into the world even before the world came into existence uh, is, is quite an uplifting concept, I think. Right? That, um, that there's room for improvement is part of how we're all created and how the world is created. And it occurred to me that the sort of the, the flip side of chuva, though, of course, is there are things we do that can be wrong, mm-hmm. which I feel like is also something that the culture has a very hard time with. Like, you can get in a lot of trouble telling somebody else they're wrong, or you did something wrong, right? Who are you to judge me? I don't want to judge myself. Everyone's looking for acceptance for everything, by everything, which I understand. As somebody who does a lot of things wrong, I love being accepted for all my flaws. Mm-hmm. It's the best feeling in the world. But I guess I'm wondering how you sort of balance that message of, Yes, that that was wrong. It does need to be fixed at the same time, but things are fixable. I think, right, I think that's highlighting part of a problem that people are so scared of being wrong. People are scared of making mistakes. And people become very defensive, people blame other people, rather than accepting that, okay, I made a mistake, I need to work on myself. And I think Yom Kippur is, you know, the Jewish time where we can look at who we are and say, okay, I made mistakes. This is who I am, and I want to become a better person. But it's hard in the day-to-day interactions to, to do that, to, to admit that you made a mistake. Very hard. It's hard, you know, say it's hard for me, and you see it's hard for the people. People get very defensive. I live in Israel, and you see all the time, very, <laughs> very few people around me want to admit they make a mistake, especially if they're driving in a car. (laughs) Or walking and breathing. (laughs) Okay, so uh, I think uh, when when you look at the psukim in in Vayikra, in Leviticus, that describe uh, Yom Kippur, the theme that comes out is inui, right? The initem et nafshotechem. We're supposed to, how do you guys want to translate inui? Afflict oneself? Right? Okay. Some torture oneself. It sounds viscerally like, you know, the, the, the standard understanding is, oh, I have to punish myself, physical pain to suffer for uh, all the bad stuff I've done. But, of course, uh, the sages in the Mishnah and the Midrash Halakha and the Oral Law don't interpret it that way, right? They say that Inui is really abstaining. You stop eating and drinking. You don't engage in sexual relations. You don't bathe and you don't wear uh, leather shoes. Uh, and you don't anoint oneself with oil. I know that's a big one to give up, but yes, that's also part of Yom Kippur, no, no smearing of oil. So 
but of course, the problem with that is that on the one hand, they made it much more doable. It's not about physical pain. It's not about being masochistic. The question is, where's the Inui in that, right? If you, if listeners are with me in this room, they would say, you know, it's for you could stand a few days of fasting. I don't think that would be bad for you at all. So uh, where's the Inui? Where's the affliction? So I remember Rav Cook in Orota Tshuva and the Lights of Repentance speaks about the soul that sins is in pain. And what he means there is that sin isn't about breaking a rule. Uh, Sin is when you are not true to your inner divine self. That somehow you are not living the life that you've been empowered or created to live. This sense of like missing the mark. I'm not on the path that a piece of me knows the whole time I'm supposed to be on. And the pain, and when, we, when we're on that wrong path, we actually feel it. We're actually in pain over it. And it occurred to me that maybe we often cover up that pain. We spend a lot of our time covering it up or ignoring it, often through physical pleasure, right? You know, I don't want to feel bad about myself, so I'll eat a donut, right? Uh, I don't want to deal with that struggle, so I'll take a nap instead. That we, instead of confronting our emotional or psychological suffering, we, we paper over it or we distract ourselves or we numb it somehow. And maybe the, the inui, the affliction that we feel on Yom Kippur is that we are clearly meant to deprive ourselves of all those nice distractions, right? We're going to sit in shul and read these very difficult words about being present before God. I'm not going to watch Netflix, Right? And I'm not going to you know, have ice cream, but I'm actually going to talk about the ways in which I feel I have made mistakes or failed or really deal with the, the suffering that might be going on inside of me because I'm not the person I really deep down aspire to be. So maybe the Inui is not from the fasting, but it's being open to the, to the real pain that I think a lot of us are in, that part of being human is also to feel that pain of not being completely true to the person that we really want to be. So, to me, that's the affliction or the aspired affliction on Yom Kippur, as opposed to just not eating for a day. So it's like a self, like a self-affliction. Not through depriving yourself, but just your soul. It's not covering it up. It's there. I think Rev. Cook would say all of us to some level are in pain right now on some degree because none of us are living exactly the lives that we aspire most to live, right? And I think that to confront that and to really feel it and to really deal with it, I think is, uh, it's hard. It's, we don't want to do it very naturally, but I think it's real. So it seems as if the Torah prescribes here then a, a way to access that pain by taking away the distractions through these inuyim or these, right? Um, but how, what would you then say to somebody who doesn't relate to sitting in synagogue all day long saying these words? In other words, they've, they've, they have removed, they, they are allowing themselves to be open to the pain and using the you know, the halakhically prescribed system for doing so by, by avoiding these, you know, these categories of actions. And with, but the flip side of that, of, okay, what do I do now that I've removed those distractions? How do I actually deal with that pain? For them, sitting in a synagogue saying words they don't necessarily understand doesn't give them 
a way to really process or 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 think about that pain in a way that's effective for them? I mean, at first, I think it's a fantastic question. I think that the words of the machzor can be just as much of a distraction as anything else. And I think that that's part of the challenge. I would say, there's too much to say. Don't try to say all of it. Mm-hmm. Make sure you carve out some time for reflection or a personal conversation or whatever tools that you need to deeply reflect. I mean, sometimes the words can help. Like you said, right? You find a tefillah that speaks to you. And there's something in the language that helps you connect to something. But sometimes not. And I think that we can, we can use this synagogue experience either as a way to deepen or connect, or it can also be a distraction. I know that there have been uh, Yom Kippur's where I felt exhausted at the end. I felt like I said a lot. But did I really, you know, go for growth? Maybe not. It's a really important challenge. I think there are a lot of factors there. I think it's a great point. And I think that maybe people should be given some alternatives, at least for part of the day, instead of the expectation that I'm going to sit and turn the pages with everybody else and say all those words along with everybody else. Uh, and maybe take a little time to reflect, to have a, pri- a private conversation, uh, whatever it might be. See, I, I feel sometimes with some people I've seen, the Anui, the Anui Nefesh is maybe like the affliction of, uh, of the soul, is really the, it's like an Inui goof, right? That they, they want their morning coffee and they start getting a headache or by the afternoon, people are like flaking out because they're tired and hungry and thirsty. And so they don't reach that. They're like, in some ways, it might achieve the opposite. By not eating and drinking... All they can think about is eating and drinking. Right, and they don't get to the, I guess, the soul work because, you know, they're sitting down massaging a headache. That's a good question. I guess you got to start going off caffeine before the, uh, the fast, but, like, it's a self-imposed problem, right? In a way, you're saying we are so uh, committed to our, our quick fixes for when we are struggling that when you take them away, all I can do is struggle more. I think it's a good point. And maybe we have to, in our lead-up to Yom Kippur, that's part of our preparation, right? Part of our preparation might be practicing, like maybe slichot, right? You practice reflecting and saying more words and how they can help you. And maybe indeed you do start cutting back on your coffee. And maybe you do start to like try to recalibrate so you're, you don't walk into the day and you're like, oh my God, I'm sitting in shul all day and I'm not having coffee and, and I'm hungry and this is just terrible. I think you're 100% right. I think that's why maybe there needs to be a lot of uh, lead in to get ready mm-hmm. to experience the day. And we're recording this in Elul, so... Yeah, there's time, everyone. There's still time. You can start... My advice, what you do is you just mix some decaf in to the regular coffee, and you start changing the proportion. You kind of trick yourself that way. How many years have you been working on this formula? The coffee formula? I've done different things. I'm ashamed to admit, but some years I simply drink a whole pot of coffee an hour before the fast, and then the headache doesn't land until about 22 hours later. Probably a really... I'm Big headache. Saying, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, it gets me through the vast majority of the day feeling pretty good. So, you know, to each his own. But I think preparation, like in all things, preparation is everything. So let's, uh, let's talk about a couple takeaways uh, that we have for ourselves now going into Yom Kippur. Uh, Sefi, what's your, what's your takeaway now going into your Yom Kippur? What do you want to work on? What, what do you hope to come out of it? 
I'm going to take away, I think, maybe one of the most recent things that were said, which is preparation. I, I feel like the, the Jewish calendar gives us this month of Elul for preparation, and every year I walk into Yamim Noreim thinking, oh, I should have used that month differently. Um, should have used it at all, you know, to, to reflect, as you said, um, as Ruben said, to think about my own self-improvement um, and to be as prepared as I feel as I can be for these tefillot, the Hinani element, even while feeling inadequate, but feeling proud of myself for showing up. Maybe in the classroom, too. Don't leave your Rosh Hashanah discussion to an, the last day before Rosh Hashanah with an hour to go in school. Maybe people need time to start looking. Students need time to look ahead and reflect a little bit, and maybe that's also really good advice. Ruvain? Um, I, I like uh, Sefi's word, Hinani, like, here I am. And uh, I think just to try and be more present, sometimes I like to intellectualize things and conceptualize things, like my text I brought, but I just like the rawness of being in the moment and, um, and getting inspiration from the people, you know, whether it's the leader or from the, from the machzor, the prayer book, um, to, be, to be present in the Yom Kippur uh, experience and then maybe hopefully our experience what Rav Cook was talking about and feel better new <laughs> <laughs> I wish you a lot of success in feeling pain Ruben. Uh, you know I'll just share this story with you and you guys can't stop me I guess it's too late uh, I used to write down I still do for the vidui for the confession I try to write down a list of things that I know that I have personally done either individual things or general character failings. There's no shortage on either of those. Uh, and I, I have a, every year I find the, the one from two years ago or last year, and it's, it's very hard for me that I notice that the same thing, the lists are like almost completely the same, right, from year to year. Uh, and I think one of the things I'm taking away from you is that uh, that's, that's normal, like that's okay, that, uh, you know, we're, we're working on it, and... Uh, we're not going to fix things to the point where they probably, in many cases, where they go away completely. We're not going to become the perfect person, uh, and we, we, we have struggles. And uh, that, right, that maybe it's already a positive that I'm engaging the struggle uh, and still working on it, as opposed to the, uh, I can't believe it, you know, I, I'm still gossiping just as much as I always did. Uh, and uh, that that's an important realization, too, to not turn it into a time of just looking at failure, but also looking at potential and, and feeling some, some amount of growth uh, as well. Uh, also, a word of advice to everybody out there, typically you're your own worst critic. So if you want to really kind of check in with where you are, it doesn't hurt to have a chavruta to check in a little bit because they might notice a lot more progress in yourself than, than you notice in yourself. So that might be something helpful for our students also, uh, how to figure out some way to maybe give them a chuva buddy right to, they can help each other work on things and maybe help each other not get too down about the things that they uh, are frustrated with well on that note it seems that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are now safely ensconced in the bar uh, and I believe Sukkot still has to show up is that correct yeah. so uh, again we on behalf of uh, these two wonderful teachers who are with me uh, we want to thank you for listening uh, we love to get feedback 
to hear about things that we can do to improve things or make them better. And of course, if you're using any of the things that we're talking about in your classes or in your life, we'd love to hear about that also. Uh, we want to wish you, if you're listening to this right before Yom Kippur, of course, we want to wish you a Gemar Chatimah Tovah. May you and your family and your loved ones and the Jewish people be inscribed in the Book of Life uh, forever and ever. And uh, we look forward to talking with you about Sukkot. For more great content, go to elmad.pardes.org. See you next time.